I just didn't understand why connecting the best freelancers to great companies couldn't be frictionless. That's Shib Matthew, founder of the elite freelancer platform, You Know Juno. They've built a reputation of disrupting traditional recruitment and bridging the gap between hirer and freelancer. Since day one, our goal at Unojuno has been to address every frustration we had as either freelancers or hirers. From direct and transparent communication, to taking the stress out of getting paid on time, to being properly recognised for great work. Today, Unojuno is now the world's largest marketplace of premium creative and tech talent. Last year we reached half a billion pounds in freelancer bookings, and we still feel like we're just beginning. If you would like to know more about Unojuno, their views on the future of work being freelance and what they can do for you, head on over to unojuno.com. Welcome back to a brand new season of Where Did It All Go Right? Now, if you haven't listened before, we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their career. I'm Ali Jones, and we're really excited about our new season. It's been a while, but it's good to be back. So let me tell you about our first guest, Dan Gillespie-Sells, lead singer of the band The Feeling. He's an Ivor Novello award-winning songwriter, and you'll have heard his music in dance, theatre, TV and film. He composed the music for the musical and now film Everybody's Talking About Jamie, and we had a chat about how he got to do the job he loves. Hello, I'm so sorry. Don't worry. I um, forgot. I literally, well, do you know what it is? I need to start setting alarms again. I stopped setting alarms because it was ridiculous. I had so many alarms going off every day. And I'm in my studio. I'm editing a vocal. I'm thinking, oh, I've got, you know, half an hour before I do this thing. So I just get into it. And before I know it. Oh, don't worry. It's 10 past 12. <laughs> I thought I, literally... I was, do you know what? I thought I was on the wrong Zoom link. And I was like, oh, well, maybe he's in another Zoom. And I'm, he's, he's wondering where no, I am. I'm so sorry. No, it's me don't being worry. an absolute dickhead. I'm such a dickhead. <laughs> it, it's just, I just get, um, yeah, sometimes I get carried away. There's no excuse for it. Well, it's, it's being, lovely to get carried away. disorganised. It's lovely to get carried away in your work. Congratulations on the BAFTA nomination. And did you go on oh, Sunday? How was it? I didn't go on Sunday. Um, I actually got COVID on Saturday morning and I got a positive result just on like, you know, the day before. And there was there was all kinds of stuff happening all weekend and I missed out. Yeah, which was sad. But I mean, we were there in I was there in spirit and we had a whole bunch of people from the movie there. So they didn't need me to be there. Just I just, you know, missed the party, that's all. But did you watch it on telly? Because if you did, it must have been amazing when you saw all the films of the year and there was everybody's talking about Jamie. I did, yeah. I watched yeah. it on the telly and um well I switched between that and, and Big, which was on Channel Five, which is just <laughs> making making me happy while I was in my duvet. You know, <laughs> I've got my duvet on the sofa, feeling sorry for myself. I wasn't even sick. I mean, there was no, 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 I was, I had no symptoms or anything, but I just felt like I could feel sorry for myself. So, so I sat under my duvet, flicking between the awards and big, because not award ceremonies like, they're so long and boring. Yeah, yeah. And so part of me, part of me is like, you know, and I've, I've been to enough award ceremonies to, not that I'm not grateful to be nominated or anything, but also I've sat through enough of them to go, actually, part of me is quite happy to be yeah. sitting here with the yeah. chocolate bar and me, yeah. and me remote control in front of me. Sometimes yeah. we just like, it's a good excuse to hide under the duvet. But I love that whole, you know, yeah. big film, big nomination, and you're, I've got this image of you under the duvet <laughs> with your chocolate yeah. bars. 
<laughs> having a lovely time, by the way. I was having a lovely time. I, I really don't want anyone feeling sorry for me because I missed out because actually I just had a lovely weekend anyway. It was well, great. Good. good. Well, I watched the film with, with my kids over the weekend and it's interesting because kids pick up on different things but they were noticing the lyrics because it's all very quite fast paced but you know and I was thinking about you know you working with Tom and very different for you to work with someone with the, who was doing the lyrics but also yes that was kind of, I mean this whole podcast is about pivotal moments but that was quite a pivotal moment because you met him at a civil rights demo is that right it was yeah it was it was um a Pope Ratzinger was in town and we were there, there was a demonstration because he was um, still speaking out against um, contraception use in Africa. And, and so it was one of those things where obviously the gays, um, we know about, you know, sexual health. So, you know, it was one of those things where there was this rally kind of just say, trying to kind of like um, draw attention to the, uh, to, the, to the, what was happening with HIV and AIDS in Africa and the fact that the Pope was still, you know, kind of condemning the use of, of, of uh, condoms in Africa. And so it was one of those um, kind of demos. It was very much one of the standard demos you go on at that particular period and and so I bumped into Tom I was introduced to him by a friend mutual friend of ours and who said oh here's Tom he's a friend of mine he's a writer this is Dan he's in the feeling and Tom was like oh I know the feeling I listened to your last album while I was writing my last tv thing and you know I kind of immediately thought oh this is great to meet a writer because I've been looking to try and meet a writer who might be interested in doing a musical I knew that I wasn't going to be able to write it I knew I was going to have to find someone to collaborate with um to do the script and so Tom and I got talking immediately and got excited by the idea of working together we knew each other's work I'd seen threesome on Comedy Central and and obviously I knew of Doctor Who so you know we we we, we immediately just thought oh this is quite a good quite a good opportunity to give something a go and yeah that's what we did it and it actually took me I was, I was saying you know talking about the pivot it yeah. took me I knew I wanted to pivot quite early on like after about album number three with the band actually after album number two with the band I was already looking for a back door because I'd realized how stressful and and you know kind of uh how, how kind of ghastly the music industry can be mm-hmm. you know it I, I love the music industry, but also I, I, there's lots of things about the music industry that I really think is awful. And so, you know, whilst kind of still doing what I need to do to make a living and to, to practice my art, as it were, I was also looking for other ways of practicing my art that didn't involve the music industry. So you kind of had this vague plan and it was trying to get it to work. So do you see yourself, do you think more... It's, diff- it's difficult to pigeonhole you, but more as a composer or a performer, or do you like having both both parts of that? Um, I think as a songwriter at the end of the day, it's it always yeah. where I feel comfortable yeah. placing myself. I've worked with TV and, and ballet and all kinds of things mm. in the past over the years with different, different projects and you know, dance things and whatever. Um, but... Uh, where I would say that I feel comfortable properly claiming who I am is songwriter. Yeah, yeah. So there is composition involved, there's arrangement involved, there's, there's depending on what I'm doing, there's all kinds of different things that I branch out from. But my, my, my comfort zone, um, well, not my comfort zone, but my, my, the thing that I strive to do is write great songs. And it's the, do you know what, it's the bit that excites me the most really as well. It's the, it's the bit of what I do that still seems like a, slightly mad challenge and 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 continues to be challenging continues to be like 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 when I worked with Anne Dudley on the score for the movie 
which was another whole thing that I'd never done before and yeah. and 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 that I wanted to do was to to work on a movie score as in like all the underscoring and all of the stuff that goes underneath the dialogue and underneath mm. the scenes and 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 all the transitional bits of music and that's that's proper composition that's you know that's kind of classical style composition that kind of stuff I really enjoyed doing that and I I was challenged by it but it still didn't scare me as much as trying to write a song really you know yeah, because it's craft. I mean, it's pure craft. It's craft. It's it's it's, it's craft, and it's it's like you can learn how to do it. You can work hard, and you can you can get somewhere with it. Mm. Writing a great song, you could spend your entire life trying to write a great song and never write a great song, and that's why it's scary. That's why it's truly scary because there's a kind of um, bizarre magical element to it, or something. And not that I believe in magic or superstition in any way, but there is an element of it which is a bit like uh, that. Just kind of worked, which isn't the same for other bits of music that I've done. Like I've done music that is doing a job for something or music which is accompanying something else and arrangement things and 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 composition which is, you know, to, to, to underlie a scene and all that kind of stuff. That's, I know that I can give it a few goes and eventually mm. I'll get it right and I'll get better at it the more that I practice the craft of that. But it but, must be amazing. Like songwriting is terrifying. It, well, but also, isn't it satisfying, though, when you know that people have your music in their lives? And I, I think we met years ago at the Cornbury Festival, and I think I said to you that I've got twins, and I found out I was having twins when I, weirdly, on the radio, it was Never Be Lonely. And I was like, that song now, every time I hear it on the radio, <laughs> ah, oh, my goodness, it's that, that's, that, that's kind of scary time, but also a, a joyful time. And for you, you've kind of got such a, I guess it's like being, being an architect who's got buildings all around the the country or whatever you have got you've made your mark and made such an impact on people's lives whether it be in uh, music scores uh, theatre or or your albums yes I mean it, that, it, 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 I feel like what I do is slightly more ephemeral than a building I mean who knows <laughs> I mean I love the idea that, that they become landmarks and they stick around forever but I don't believe they will like I, don't, <laughs> I actually don't believe that at all I think I think it's I don't I think I'm doing something a bit stupid for a living really and it's not something as useful as a building thing that might put a smile on someone's face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a funny statue. I'm, I'm doing a funny statue that goes up here and there and, and oh. will probably get pulled down. And... I, I think, I think you no, I think you've put yourself down there. But I mean, that's an interesting thing as well, because to be a songwriter and to be in a band, you've got to have a lot of self-belief. And when you started out with the feeling, because it must have been, and also with the film and, and and getting it on stage and getting it to be a film, have you always had a, quite a lot of self-belief or have you just thought, oh, I'm just going to keep plugging away? I've had a certain amount of um, desire, kind of intrinsic desire to do it because I really enjoy it and I love doing it and nothing's going to stop me doing it. Um, <laughs> and then when it comes to the self-belief and the kind of slightly kind of pushy nature that you need to have to survive in this business. I've actually got very good at surrounding myself with people who are much better hustlers than I am, much more, much more pushy than I am, much more kind of they've got nerve and cheek and charm that I don't, I don't have. So it's something that I was very lucky to have when I first met my band when I was 16 at the Brit School, mm. was I met particularly Richard Jones, our bass player, who's just there pushing me forward all the time he's Having got all the ambition people in your the... corner that's great that's a really good i haven't thought about that before well, but yeah because yes yes and then, and then when it came to, to to tom edges me along and i edge him along as well but we edge each other forward and, and sometimes when any of us have a wobble 
there's somebody there going, no, 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 you, you need to do this because otherwise I can't do this. Like we're, we're together in this yeah. and I'm going to push you over the edge and then jump on, jump after you. And I think that those people are really useful to have around you. And I think that's because I'm not, I'm not competitive and I'm not any of those things. I just, I just love what I do and I just do it all the time. But the thing that gets it out there is the fact that I think that I've been lucky enough to recognize that there are people that are useful to me to have around me and to collaborate with. Yeah. And that when I have a wobble, they'll be there for me. And actually I'll be there for them when they have a wobble as well. <laughs> um, it's not just a one way thing, but it's, it's, it's something I think happened with me with the feeling. And then it happened with me with everybody's talking about Jamie, because Jonathan is a wonderful theater director who's directed it and came up with the whole idea and bought it to me and Tom as a project to write. And he pushed it forward mm. just kept moving it forward pushing it forward let's do more work let's do stuff we'll, we'll get a, well you know we got a commission really early on and then it was like okay now we're gonna work toward that and then as soon as we got that commission it was like it just kind of took on a life of its own but do you think yeah. that also went back to when you were growing up you know living with your family were they musical with your because you're two mums uh, and a dad yeah. were, were they yeah. supportive when you said I want to go to the Brit school some parents might <laughs> go nah, no could you please work in a bank thanks very much no very supportive I mean they're, they're, they're not musicians there, mm -hmm. there was no no music um around uh, something that I found myself but also I think it's something that does go back in my family but it skips a few generations oh, okay. you know skips a couple of generations before me it's not something that that I inherited but I and I don't remember the first time I became obsessed with music because was, I was too young. Mm. But clearly it was something which I grasped onto at like three or four and, and you know, never let go of. Um, Did you start on the piano? Yes. And they, 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 never, they, never, they never doubted that it was the right thing for me because it was so clear and they supported me. You know, they bought me my first piano, both houses. My mum had my mum's had a piano in their house and my dad had a piano in his house um he got his from a mate of his who was bought a pub I think so I've got this old honky-tonk which he's still got in the corner which is out of some pub somewhere in East London and then there's um my mum found a piano on in the in the back of a newspaper that was a rickety old thing that she stuck in the hallway for me and it must have been awful for them because I was just I played that thing endlessly I mean I would, it's not I would something never... you can turn down is it it's not like them buying you keyboards and you could just put headphones on it's like you're there all no. the time <laughs> I was there banging away on that thing and they'd never get me to do anything practical because I'd, I'd, I'd normally kind of divert via the piano and then find myself sitting at the piano even when I was supposed to be you know getting the milk in from outside I'd, <laughs> the next minute they'd hear this plink plonk plink plonk and he's like oh he's forgotten the milk and he's sitting at the piano again you know and I would I was I would I, I hid away from 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 kids and at school because I preferred being at the piano. Mm. I think I was not the most sociable kid because I just wanted to spend the whole time bashing away at the piano. And 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 the piano at my dad's house was in the front room and it was where we had the pool table. And it's a typical house full of boys. So there's a pool table and dartboard and all that kind of stuff in the front room and the, my piano. And, you know, they, they were trying to play pool around me while I'm banging away. <laughs> there wasn't really room in. It wasn't quite enough space for the pool table because only a little room. So you know, my dad had to have like the cues like sawed off so they're a bit shorter. Because so they didn't the, catch the, you in the in the album. It wouldn't catch on the wall or catch me in the back of the head when I was playing the piano. <laughs> it was it was it was like that. I was I was I'm kind of ridiculous. I was I was quite ridiculous. I was very single minded, um, but I was happy. You yeah. know, I was in my own little world and, and bashing away at the piano. Was your first um, song you wrote a ballad for pool players or or anything like that? Do, do you remember <laughs> Do you remember the first song that you wrote? 
No, I, I used to just write music. Before it was songs, I just wrote music and it was just like kind of ditties and, and bits of music and kind of like mostly just blues stuff because I, I kind of taught myself. So I kind of like the, the easiest thing to grasp hold of was, was kind of boogie and blues piano because mm-hmm. you could just it was all patterns that were kind of it's kind of like a, as a self-taught musician you you kind of go to the blues or you go to those kind of bits of music that are kind of like hand-shaped bits of music so so yeah and then and then kind of got harmonically more interested in other things as I grew older and then and then it was really when I joined my first band when I was 16 that I thought about songwriting you know and actually and it wasn't me who was the singer ever. It was always someone else who'd be the singer. But I got interested in songwriting at that stage and, and you know, melodies and lyrics and all that kind of stuff crept in when I was a teenager. And before I knew it, I was playing in bands around Camden and, and you know, doing the backing vocals and playing the guitar for most of that period. And, and um, but I'm interested in when you all met. I mean, how did you get sort of as a group? Were you put together? Uh, or did you all just kind of come together and it seemed to work? Was there a moment when you thought, oh, this is this is good. This this dynamic is great. And we have our pushy Richard here as well. Um, how how yeah. did it all come together? Well, we just started playing in, in the in the little rooms at, at lunch breaks and, right. and after school. Because the Brit, the Brit school was always open. You know, I could stay there till 10 o'clock at night. And eventually yeah. they'd close up. But I was, you know, and I, I travelled a long way to get there because I was up in North London. And I had to travel all the way down to Croydon, and 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 once I'd done that journey, I was like, "Well, I'm here now." So I'd I'd spend every hour at that place. I loved it, and there was a few classes here and there that I don't remember, but there was also a lot of hanging, lot of hanging around, and mm. and they'd do these concerts in the lobby every now and then. And you there's always a rehearsal room. That's the thing. There was always a rehearsal room with a drum kit in the corner, and a couple of guitar amps, and and a keyboard, and you could just go and jam and so we just kind of like gravitated together as a group that's what's so brilliant about the brit school by the way i I do think that there's a lot of talk about it being some kind of fame academy type place and it's not really it's just a it's just what it is just a place where a lot of like-minded kids get to use the same space Mm -hmm. and i think it's really that's that's the secret of its success is that a real ecosystem of of kids from all different backgrounds in a non-fee paying school kind of uh colliding mm. in in one space and inspiring each other and just playing like literally just playing it was like a playground and yeah. that's where the band started yeah because I, I you talked about going and just hanging out in music rooms but i even my school was just a normal school it wasn't a performing arts school but if you know sometimes lunchtime can be really tricky you know with people falling yeah. out and people are bored aren't they but a lot of us just <laughs> used to gravitate to the music room and just have a yeah. lot of fun just playing on the pianos and it was it's quite a safe place isn't it do you know what i mean it was it was it was you know it, the whole of the brit school was was slightly overwhelming because the school i went to before the brit school was a regular state school in north london that was mm-hmm. perfectly average you know perfectly good school you know but not posh or anything and 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 really if you had to if to have any status in that school you had to be good at sports Right. And and I wasn't. And I so I had like zero status as a teenager. <laughs> so by the time by the way I went to the Brit school, it was all about being a singer or a dancer or an actor or or something. And and the, or being a musician was perfectly legit there. And and suddenly um I was surrounded by by other people that were interested in the same things I was interested in. So I was like a absolute pig in shit. I was just loving it. And <laughs> me and the, the boys met and and the rest is history. We're, we're still still working. I'm still working with the same people. And well, and, yeah. and 
and and Richard was always charming and go-getterish and and made things happen and and he had that energy about him and he still does to this day and so he makes things happen you know and I like being around people that make things happen because there is part of me that would still be locked away you know in the front room at my dad's house bashing away at the piano for like 11 hours a day and nobody would notice but because (laughs) but because I was you know kind of I get dragged out of my shell by the people that I choose to collaborate with you know they want something of they want me to kind of engage you know, and I, it's one of the reasons I've got to say that I took to musical theatre so um, easily was because someone gave me a job to do. You know, I've got a, like a clear task and a clear problem to solve and a clear kind of like place for my craft to go, which is a lot easier than someone goes, all right, Dan, do another album. Mm. Just write what you want, say what you want. What do you got to say for yourself? You know, here's, here's a load of money, make a record. That for me was quite stressful. Yeah. Um, like a black piece of paper to... you kind of you you need almost leading Terrifying. a little bit yeah yeah and it was great and when, when you're 20 when you're 21 and 22 and 25 26 you've got all this stuff to say because you're so full of ideas and you're so full of your own ego and you're full of you're actually full of um thoughts that you want to put out into the world right that's that's actually quite normal but one of the other reasons for the pivot to to, to doing what I do now is because I I didn't want to have to keep dragging up my own intestines <laughs> into an industry you know what I mean I didn't want to just keep on like kind of scraping the barrel of my innards to try and find out what I wanted to say I was like it was quite lovely to have a break from that you wanted to tell other people's stories <laughs> yeah tell other people's stories um put myself into other people's shoes use what I've learned through doing feeling records but to for a slightly different purpose and actually mm. what's really lovely about it is that I think I put more genuine emotion into some of those songs than I did into some of the feeling songs where I'm attempting to say what 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 you know where I'm attempting to talk about myself yeah sometimes a, a, a little get around is to put myself into the shoes of a middle-aged woman with a you know standing in a kitchen with a boy who's just said a horrible thing to her and suddenly I'm like why am I writing from this perspective but actually it was liberating and I connected with something, some other aspects of myself through those characters. And, 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 and I think that I learned a lot. And then when I came back to doing another Feeling album, after having done Jamie, I was like, oh, I can use that. And actually I've got, I've got stuff to say now and I've, yeah. I can access something different um, because I came at it from a different angle. Yeah, you just sort of by doing different projects, you kind of come back fresher, don't you? And uh, also I think the thing about the feeling is, is the long, longevity of it because not many bands that were around when you were around are still are still together. And and at the beginning, was there a time when you just thought, though, trying to crack? Because I was thinking about now and with TikTok and, you know, a lot of bands, it's quite easy to get noticed. <laughs> but for you, was it, do you think you would have, would it have been harder or easier if, if, it, if you were trying to break through now? I don't know. I mean... Mm. part of me just it looks at at what you need to do to break through now and that sounds terrifying um because I don't like being on I don't know I put myself I mean I have an Instagram but it's like Mm. just for me mates you know I don't (laughs) I don't like self-promoting and all that kind of stuff and I don't I I didn't have to in them days I just went out and did gigs yeah you know got myself booked did the gigs showed up tried to make them good did demo you know we got together in our shed in in not my shed but my you know keyboard player and and guitarist 
their parents had a, a kind of outhouse at the end of the garden, which 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 we made our first album in, and we just went there and locked ourselves away and made good demos, yeah, and tried to make it sound as good as possible and put it out there and and you know just did it for I mean it took years, but you know we did it and then eventually it took off. But but you know it was all about just getting yourself out there and making sure that you're playing live and working on the craft and working on the songwriting and working on all that stuff. And now I think um I'd be terrified by all the extraneous stuff you have to do, mm. get enough followers, get enough. Yeah. Um, it all seems to be not about the music and so that terrifies me a little bit because I think that world wouldn't suit me as much and I think I really would be still stuck in that that front room playing the piano for 11 hours a day I think that in in, in this day and age I'd be there I think but who knows because I would have been raised with all of that technology yeah. and I would be used yes. to it and it would be normal and maybe a fish can't see water you know so it's kind of like you just you know, I'm just looking at it going, ah, but I think that a young generation, me, might be all right with it. Who knows? Mm. But they gave you the the freedom. So you, you work together, but they also gave you the freedom to say, right, after a couple of albums, I want to go and try and do something else as well. And I guess that's your friendship that's really, that's a big part of it, of how you've managed. Because you went and um, you worked on a um, a TV show, didn't you? You did the music for uh, Beautiful People. I did, be yeah, Beautiful People I did. Um, and that really didn't spend a lot of time on that. That was just, I wrote a song for this theme, this theme for it, and I recorded it, and that ended up getting used. And a friend of mine, Ian Masterson, was the, was the, the kind of mastermind behind that musically and brought me in and, and that was great fun. And then I worked with Ed Watson on some, and, and Javier De Frutos, who's an amazing choreographer on, on the show at the Coliseum, which was which ended up being something which we've done with some of the dancers from the Royal Ballet. And um, we've been all over the place, all over the world doing that, which was, which was a dance thing, uh, more of a kind of dance piece with some original music and then some kind of songs that I reworked, um, Cole Porter song and an Irving Berlin song and some Ivan the Velo songs which I kind of rewrote for this piece. And we did that in New York a couple of years ago. So I've been doing bits and bobs like that. But when it came to like something as full on as doing the musical, we never knew it was going to get, get as big as it got. We didn't, you know, I thought it was going to be a project which ran for two weeks in Sheffield. And, you know, that was it. And But actually then it got a West End transfer and then it kept running and three and a half years later, uh, it's still running in the West End and I'm off shooting the movie. But the thing is with that was that the boys have all been with me on that journey. They've mm. all come and played on the record. Two of them have been playing in the West End orchestra all the time that we're not touring with the band. You know, Kevin and Kieran are, 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 have been playing in the West End eight times a week, you know, because it's like, it's it's a great gig. And I think that what, what I've tried to do is to include them all and use them because they're, they're, they're fantastic musicians and great people to work with. Why wouldn't I, you know? Mm. So I bought them, bought them with me along the whole and, and they're playing on the, on the movie soundtrack. So it's kind of like, it is the feeling with a different hat yeah. when we it's do Yeah, sub collab or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, but they're, they're, my, they're my musical family and I bring them yeah. along with me. So it's been really great. But it has been, the break has also been useful when it came back to making another feeling album, it was very, very useful to have had three or three or four years of mm. head into a different thing, you know? Mm. And I think for all of us, I think it's been really useful. And, and then when it came to making this new feeling album, uh, there was all kinds of perspective that, that we had that was useful. But also you've been through such a lot together. If you've known each other for such a long time, <clears> you <throat> must have done some dodgy gigs. Uh, you must have all been, I mean, were you all doing different jobs at the beginning? It's sort of like trying to be a, freelancers but sort of 
doing like odd jobs to, to make the to make ends meet you must have been doing some really interesting yeah. interesting day jobs to kind of make ends meet in the evening well our first our first record came out in 2006 we'd actually met in 1998 or something so it's like a, almost like 10 years yeah of being jobbing, gigging, working musicians before we got our first records, before we had our first successful release, you know. So in that in that 10 years or so, eight years or something that we were together as a band before success, as it were, yeah. we were playing in the Alps, doing covers gigs, um, 10 shows a week in the Alps. And then in the summer, we would do session work. Some of the boys were the house band on a TV show for a whole period of time where Richard Blackwood had his own TV show oh, and they yeah. had a house band on that show. Then I was off playing guitar with Jennifer Page when she was touring, promoting a single as her guitarist. So session work, playing on other people's records. Um, but you were all uh, doing music. That The great thing is that... It um, was music. It you was music. You know, yeah, a lot of actors only... have to be waiters yeah. or stuff like that. Or... I mean, that's the great thing. That is the great thing about music is there are jobs out there for musicians. You yeah. don't have to be a star. You know what I mean? You can mm. get a kind of gigging kind of job and that, that, that's really great. And and so, and you can just play weddings and you can just do whatever you need to do to, if you want to carry on playing music. And if it doesn't affect your ego too much, then you can go and play covers and why not? You know, so it was, I think it was, it was really useful because it was important for us mm. to have experienced the whole ecosystem of the music industry before we actually got to that place of actually having hit records. Yeah. I think for us to understand the whole music industry looks like and what it means to people and what it really is and that's one of the reasons that I think the band has continued to be successful and continue to be grateful for what we do we're not taking it for granted we're mm. not expected to be stars we're not expecting anything we, we we're aware that to be making music for a living is something you should be grateful for no matter what form it's in and and I think that that's something we've always taken with us we've never expected more than just do a gig and get paid for it you know that's that's where we come from and we're happy and and you know and also we're ambitious but but we're not ambitious for any of the the extrinsic rewards of what music can have you know what i mean like mm. or any industry like this mm. you know there's these extrinsic things like as we just talk about the baftas like awards and and monetary reward and fame and status but there's also there's this intrinsic need to make music which is what we really try and focus on and that's the bit that gets us out of bed in the morning and that's the bit that brings us joy and so so when that was there that was there before that was there when we were doing apres ski gigs up a mountain without the right clothing freezing oh. with oh. a van that was an old an old an old post office van that broke down i mean we we with the stories before the band was even there, like having hits the stories before that were wild because you can imagine a bunch of 19 year olds up a mountain you know <laughs> We're wearing t-shirts. gigs with, with oh. speakers on sticks and like, a, you know, just a jumper going, it's going to be warm enough. I mean, we were so clueless. And, and you know, all everyone else in the mountains were so posh. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, they were like really posh people that knew what they were doing. We were just this bunch of lads who like just come out of this school in Croydon, showing up up a mountain and, and suddenly doing 10 shows a week. And we were smashed the whole time, smashed, <laughs> absolutely but, smashed. I've got, I've still got nodules from those days. I oh, mean, it was oh, wild. No. Like I, we were very harmful, but but fun. And, you know, it was fun. It was dangerous. But... Really close, makes makes you close near. And and you know, twenty mm. odd years later, you're still doing this this new album, which was a lockdown album. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they were like, lockdown. I lost all my creativity, but it it worked for you yeah. in a way, I guess, because you all got together and yeah. and made music again. For me, it was. 
I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky and, and very, very, very grateful that I didn't have that kind of writer's block thing that lockdown mm. brought to a lot of people. Mm. Um, I just got on with it. I mean, and also I, I relished in the lack of FOMO because normally when I'm in the studio, especially when it's a sunny day like today, I'm like, oh, I could be out there. I bet this, oh, I should be on What's the going on? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on out there today? You know, and I get there and I'm editing vocals and showing up late for this podcast because I'm getting my head into comping some vocals. And, 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 and you know, there's hours and hours of just sitting here clicking away at a computer. Mm-hmm. And actually when it was lockdown, I was quite aware that no one else was doing anything else except for watching telly and getting through all their box sets and running out of things to watch. I was like, well, I might as well just carry on doing the work. And and not only was the, the Feeling Sixth album part of that, but also new musical theatre projects, new TV projects, new film projects that needed moving along and pushing forward. And, and I was collaborating with people in New York over Zoom and... I got so much done and I really relished the, I relished the, the, the bubble I was in and I'll never have that again. (laughs) I mean, I think I'll never have that. I mean, unless there's another kind of major pandemic comes along, I'll never have that kind of focus ever again. (laughs) When when you look back at the years that you've done things, 2020 to 21 will just be like this, it's like Mozart, you know, writing all these symphonies. You were just like there in your studio. It's going to be this like golden era. People are just going to be like, what happened to Dan? Suddenly it was like, Suddenly it was like really good for like five minutes and then not again. No, but I think what I, I, I think it's like I got to the point where I was like, how did no, how did I do normal life and get anything done? Mm. You know, because I was getting so much done at that period. But you know what? That's good because I'm going to spend the next three or four years or five years trying to sell these blooming projects and trying to get them out there and trying to find someone who put them into a theatre or onto a telly screen. That takes years. So that's fine. It's quite nice to have loads of stuff loads of material kind of in the bag and and kind of like ready to get out there ready to go hi Richard to be your kind of pushy person to get it all out there (laughs) that that, that, that'll work but you know whoever hears this he's going to think I'm calling him pushy and he's so not sorry no okay Um, he's just enthusiastic he's he's just a doer and you've worked with with so many different people like Rufus Wainwright and um Mm -hmm. and Becky Hill and I you know you say that the band have inspired you and and working with other people but you know the more you work with people the more you must get inspired and I mean collaborating is is again one of the great things that came from from switching to working in pop music to theatre because you know I love my band but I've been working with them for 20 years and the same five blokes you know sitting around in the same studio doing the same stuff and and to, to to break out from that was really great and when you're working on a musical the team just grows and grows and grows it starts off which started off with just the three of us me and tom and jonathan initially with jamie and then it was the team at the crucible theater when we first put it on in sheffield which again suddenly went to like 20 30 people and suddenly there's like 40 people which include the theater staff there's maybe 50 60 people and then it grows into the west end and then there's a whole marketing team and then before you know it there's there's that whole team and then there's a tour of it and then suddenly there's a production in in japan and then suddenly you're 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 asking about doing a movie and then when you start to movie there's there's new things like production design and and uh, you've got a sound team and i've got a sound team of like 
you know, 15 people and wow. then, uh, you know what I mean? So, so it, it really grows. And, and then before you know it, there's an orchestra to collaborate with, mm. you know, because you're doing the score, you know, with Anne Dudley at the end, I'm, I'm working with someone who's arranging and someone who's, it's kind of magical. It's kind of brilliant. And I, it's something I relish. I, I, I have this moment where I come back to the studio and start writing another new song. Um, and then it's just me on my own again. And the the fun bit is when it expands into something mm. kind of crazy and ludicrous, and and you have a team, and the team grows and grows and grows, and before you know it, it's and you feel the the only bit that makes me feel proud because I kind of avoid, again, I avoid extrinsic kind of rewards getting into getting into my head because I don't think it's particularly healthy, but I love the fact that we've given all these people jobs. Mm. I mean, I absolutely love that. Yeah. I love the fact that that that. You know, when you create something new, um, even a tour with the band and we have a bus full of crew and they're all got gigs and they've all got work and they're all getting paid and they're all paying their mortgages and mm -hmm. getting their kids to school and they're all paying, you know, and they've all got pets to feed and they've all got all this kind of stuff. And, and if you can create something which which um, feeds into that, then you feel part of, you really do feel connected to the world and the city you live in or the, the you know what I mean? So I think mm. it's... It's nice to feel, for me, that the, the bit that makes me feel proud is the, the fact that we created something from complete scratch, you know, from just a thought or an idea or, you know, an interesting yeah. little bit of a melody or something grows into something which actually puts food on people's tables. So if I ever allow myself a moment of, of self-reward, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think yeah, that sounds really satisfying. But no, I think you know that that's it. That's all you're allowed to do. But if you if <laughs> if you were to look back on on the pivotal moments in your career so far, because there's obviously still loads more to come with all this amazingness that happened in the last two years. Um, I mean, we <laughs> talked about being on those pianos with the the pull cues and nearly getting walloped yeah. in the head, um, and, and and having a great having great collaborators and having a great team around you, whether that be the feeling or your family. What what else would you say? I'm very grateful for the Brit School. I mean, you know, um, again, uh, I think it's a really important place because it's like again, non fee paying mm. arts college. To have that in this country is a real boon for this country, and. Uh, it's a rarity. It's something that I think took someone got a lot of courage to set up. And they, I remember when I first went to the Brit School, it was new. It was just, just open. And it was all shiny and new. And there was a lot of naysayers. There was a lot of people saying, oh, what is this nonsense? You know what I mean? Like, mm. you can't teach you can't teach talent. You can't teach art. It's a you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And, yeah. and, it was, and it's true. You can't teach that stuff. But what you can do is you can get a bunch of amazing people who feel the same way about something when they're young and stick them in a building and see what happens. Mm. And, you know, you're, you're inevitably going to get something really wonderful out of that. If you create an environment that is safe and positive and, and uh, uh, encouraging. And so, uh, yeah, I, I love the Brit school a lot. And I think there should be more things like that for people. Yeah. And I think that people should be, so people generally should be encouraged to create their own art. You know, I don't think that it should be shipped out to whoever's on the top list of Spotify. You know, the, the, the algorithm of Spotify is such a horrific thing because it, it it channels everyone to listen to the same shit and doing the same stuff. And it's so homogenizing and it's yeah, so yeah. 
and I, I just think like you should be you should be listening to what your neighbors are singing or what your mm. you know your local community you should be making your music for your community for your people for, mm. for for whoever wherever you come from you have a voice you should be using your voice and you should have the the, the means to do that and you should have the skills you should learn the skills to do that because it's fun and it's glorious and it's how we express ourselves and I I, I think the and this is hugely hypocritical because I put my music out there and it goes all over the place. And But I think everyone should be doing that. And I want everyone to be doing that. And I don't see why, you know, um, it needs to be shipped out to four or five big artists. You know, I think it's that's not, I think that's really kind of very uh, progressive. So, yeah, I, I think that there should be a Brit score at the end of every road, you know. I was going to ask you, you know, if you had any advice for anyone trying to, you know, break into writing and performing. But I think you've just sort of said it about the whole thing about Spotify. Just get loads of music in you and whether that's down your road or what your neighbours are listening to that, you know, it's just uh, getting, getting lots of experience. Would you agree? Yeah, it's hard. It's, you know, what? It's, it can be really tough because some people don't have access, mm. you know, they don't have access to instruments they don't have access to somewhere that's like soundproofed. So they're not annoying someone and being told off and they don't maybe have, you know, maybe their parents aren't as easygoing as my were. My parents are so easygoing. They didn't care what kind of racket I was making. They were just, they were just happy for me to be making a noise, you know? And I think that, that for some people it's way more of a struggle for so many different reasons. And I think that we should recognize that and we should, we should say, you know, it's not just about, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nonsense about I've got to imagine it and then I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to actually, so many of us who are successful were just lucky as well as everything else we were just lucky um but if you're if your reason for doing what you're doing is intrinsic as in like you're doing it because you just love doing it and you're driven to do it then that shouldn't matter whether the success kind of in inverted commas the success comes mm. you know your way in five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years it kind of shouldn't matter because you're already successful if you're doing it and I think that if you can see your success from from the fact that you're getting joy from something which is artistic, then then you're that's it. You found success. It's it's expectations that are the problem. Expectations that you need to be recognised or you need to have uh, awards or you need to have something other than just the fact that we should be rewarded from the fact that we're just creating. And um, I think we have to reward ourselves by just getting up and doing it and trying and 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 playing and and. Uh, you know, getting stuck into it, that should be the reward in itself. And then anything else is like a bonus, obviously. But I don't think, I actually don't think most artists get very far without an intrinsic drive, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> what you've just said though, in the last couple of minutes, I think I should just write that down and bottle it because it was just brilliant. But that really great advice, you know, like, like you say, you're doing it and you're enjoying it. And that is half the battle. Um, and, you know, I can't wait to see what you've got coming next. Are you allowed to, yeah, obviously we've got the new um, Feeling album, uh, but these projects yes. are sort of, um, on the on the back burner. What what anything that you can tell us about that's coming our way? Uh, well, one of not really one of them is an adaptation of a of a novella, um, which is just on the contracts for, which is which is going to be in a theatre in London. Um, kind of not really a musical. It's a it's a it's a it's narrated through music. There's a kind of balladeer who who sings us through the story uh, whilst it's happening on stage as well, and that's really exciting. So that that'll be hopefully later this year, if not early next year. And then there are um, a couple of TV things and a movie thing which are in development, but you know, uh, who knows how far off they are. I just have to keep on doing it. And, and the great thing is the band always keeps me busy in the meantime, because 
we spend every summer touring and then you know in october we'll be on tour again so i'll be i'll be doing festivals throughout the summer and then a full tour in autumn with the band oh. so sorted you know, um, you're okay fine. it's all good we'll look forward to that lots of festivals i'm sure and you know maybe a normalish summer compared to the last couple of years which is brilliant as Fingers well i'm so yeah. looking forward to it i'm yeah. so looking forward to letting my hair down and getting out there and just having some fun brilliant well listen thank you so much for, for talking to me dan it's such such a pleasure to hear you talk about what you love doing and what we love listening to and watching as well so thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much thank you for having me Thanks so much to Dan. And if you're into music, we have other musical guests on past episodes, including songwriter Guy Chambers, Flo and Joan, composer John Metcalf and cellist Natalie Klein. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can rate us and follow us on Twitter at Where Go Right. Thanks to the brilliant Megan Brownrigg for producing and Laura Shipsey for the music. <laughs>